Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Karina Kotova. And you work for? I work for the Jindřich Halupecký Society. Which is a society that's primarily about the award that is given out annually to, uh, from what I understand, which of course my understanding is always wrong, young Czech artists. Is that correct? Yes, uh, it's an award that is for Czech-based artists uh, under the age of 35, which means they can also be of a nationality, but they have to be living and working in Prague or wherever places in the Czech uh, Republic, uh, or at least really exhibiting regularly. And uh, yes, the society is quite uh, to a big degree uh, running this award, uh, but also other exhibition programs and kind of discursive programs. So we have a couple of uh, program lines. Uh, um, the international exhibition program is quite important for us. We quite often do work with artists that have uh, been also uh, nominees for the Chalupetsky Award, but not always. It's there since 1990, so there is a list of maybe 150 artists right now who were nominated or, or won this award, and it creates a certain picture of the kind of post-89 and um, history of um, Czech, um, Czech art. Uh, so we use this as a kind of resource, but we also invite other artists and, and our thinkers to our programs. Um, one series that we are right now in, and it's, it's very important for us, it's called Islands, Possibilities of Togetherness, and it's a series of um, exhibitions, but also other programs such as symposia or workshops, or, or kind of gatherings um, that uh, are dealing with the question of how can we assemble or think of different models of society or different models of family or different models of being um, together in relationships that would perhaps lay a bit more kind of sustainable ground for, for imagining the, the future. So that's a program that we are very much involved in right now. We are uh, planning the third chapter that is going to happen in New York in art in general this um, this spring. The previous two were in Sofia and in Diepenheim, which is a small village in the Netherlands. So that's one of the things. And so because our society is now running for the 30th anniversary, uh, this year is uh, is uh, the yeah the kind of anniversary year. Uh, we also are looking into the name that is so hard to pronounce, Indrich Halupetsky, and that um, the society is named after. He was a Czech. Uh, critic, theoretician, curator that uh, really quite framed the uh, history of uh, Czech modern art, especially in the second half uh, of the 20th century. And he was extremely interesting in his international contacts, in his writings from Marcel Duchamp through kind of Russian neo-avant-garde through, the, of course, the local art scene and we are trying to revive some of this legacy of his and uh, look into it through contemporary lens 
through the lens of artists working now, curators that are that are interested in, in in similar topics, but maybe from a completely different and more more contemporary point of view. And this also is a series of uh, smaller events, international events, but also leading towards a large exhibition that should happen um, here in Prague in the city library in the gallery of uh, of the city of uh, Prague in two years from now in 221 wow okay that's a that's a lot and that's not all you do you do more you're also an independent curator and you do other i've seen a critic i've seen a good a, a, a series of other things because you have a rather elaborate and uh, and well sort of pronounced uh, as far as like you you've worked at docs you've worked at compa you've worked at like a lot of the sort of major institutions throughout the czech republic you have a really great resume and so sort of so what else are you doing now so you do this primarily and yeah, I mean, this is my main job. I really do devote most of <laughs> my time uh, to this. Also, my very important uh, job is being a mother, which is uh, which I take as seriously as <laughs> as Kalupetsky society. Um, but I do involve myself in some other projects, not that um, not to such a great extent as, as previously, um, but uh, I am involved in a small um, kind of project space uh, and uh, NGO called INI Project. Mm -hmm. It is uh, running a space in uh, Zizhkov in Prague, um, which, is, which always has been for about seven years kind of non-gallery space it's more of, of a process-based kind of residency um, we invite invite artists curators collectives different um, theoreticians activists to inhabit this space for a period of two months and they can pretty much do anything with it but we would like them to really do a, a project think of some kind of series of, of uh, sort of unfinished things it can be trials for performances they can shoot a film there they can have gatherings uh, anything but uh, there are always a couple of programs that are also open to the public and can lay there as a field for discussion of, of things that are still kind of in the raw and uh, we want them to be shared to be to be thought of maybe in a bit uh, bigger uh, circle and this was a bit of a reaction to this kind of productivity of the art world you are always producing more and more everything is really focused on the finished thing on the finished product on the exhibition on the outcome yeah and then also on the publicity and the social media exactly and the pictures and, and all of that yep. and, we, and we really wanted to just create some space for that what happens before or in between or maybe it's not even aiming to a certain concrete product it's perhaps just there to be there and uh, so this is this is very important for me i'm involved in this right now more from the kind of coordination or curating in terms of setting up the program but there are my colleagues who, who take care of this space really much more than me but uh, but it's still running in this in this direction that i quite enjoy 
One thing that I'm focused on with this podcast is trying to find out how people can make, like in the creative industries can make better livings, basically can be more, I, I use the word successful, but it, it, it's a very open term. Uh, it doesn't mean financially or necessarily uh, esteemed or, or professionals success, but just general success for whatever anybody's definition is. So, and I saw an article with you where you were talking about how the, artists in the Czech Republic are paid a low wage to exhibit and how that should be increased. I have to admit, I'm from America. The idea that artists are paid to exhibit is foreign already. That doesn't happen. Artists are are often sort of honored just to even be part of the exhibition. But so uh, tell me a little bit about that whole thing. Like, so there seems to be a fee that is offered to artists to participate in exhibitions and group shows and things here, and it's not enough. Yeah, I mean, we are trying to, for a couple of years, to really open up this, this discussion and have artists, if they participate in a show in a big institution, have them kind of adequately paid for this. If, if, if it's a small NGO, of course, this might be a little bit more symbolic, but even giving someone 50 euros or 100 euros is kind of saying that okay this is not a lot but we can you know we really appreciate what you're doing and and given our budgets or given our possibilities we can do this much well, but even, then even it just covers the cost of transporting the art and the time of just packing up the art sending it shipping it or putting it in the car and driving it over there whatever yeah and of course i mean the artist creates the work and that's the absolutely unpaid job and, uh, Until it sells, theoretically. Uh, yes, but then the, I think this is ex exactly the argument that I have nothing against the art market. It's very important, but it can. It's also limiting. There are some artists who either do not want to be part of it or would like to be, but they simply create work that is just not suitable for the for the market and then so this is not an option for them to survive and uh, I believe that art shouldn't be just um, graded from the from the market value it's it's kind of a world in itself and it's great if it works and if it kind of supports the arts in its own way it's also of course it can be also kind of exploiting or misleading in, in many other ways yeah because I mean you you might sort of push artists to do, do a certain work that will sell. It's not, you know, it's nothing is uh, without. Um, yeah, there's an old joke in the U.S. about like, if you do something really well, now you have to do it in the colors that match the sofa and the drapes to exactly. you know, sell more of them. So, yeah, so I think it's, you know, it's absolutely legitimate that the market is there, but it shouldn't be the only source of, uh, of financing art and uh, artists' uh, work. And ideally, yeah, the institutions and the bigger they are, the more <laughs> responsible I think they, they should be for really um, appreciating the artist's work, not only in terms of giving exactly this kind of honor to show, but right. also Which providing them. They come up with the term honorarium. Yes, so, yes. <laughs> exactly. And actually, you were m mentioning the U.S., um, but there is a very important movement, which is called the Wage. It's uh, It's been around for 
I don't know, actually a few years, I would say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it ranks all, inst- all public institutions or even some private ones, depending on their budgets. There is a kind of chart or table and um, you can check how much is their annual budget and have a kind of suggestion of how much, given that, you should um, pay artists for a solo show, how much you should pay them for participating in a group show or giving a lecture and so on. And so the bigger the institution, of course, the, um, the higher the fees. Um, the, but the smallest ones um, are the, the, the fees should be, for instance, for a solo show around $1,000 Yeah, for the smallest uh, institution, which is, of course, I mean, if you think about it, this is not even a money that you would survive on for, I don't know, two months or a month in, in some bigger um, city in yeah, the in, U.S. In, and In New York, that's not going to cut it. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the artist will spend much more than a month on this. So, you know, in, in some kind of international terms, this sounds like, wow, that's a lot of money. But if you imagine the kind of, you know, the process, the artist often works for a year on an exhibition and then it's all this, all the artwork, but also all the management around it. So actually, this is really symbolic, this this kind of fee. And then if they get so high that show, they show in a big public museum, they really should get uh, a very good fee for that, I, I would say. And uh, we have a kind of similar strategy going on here that is also around for a couple of years. It's called the Zero Wage. And it was an initiative from artists and curators to push institutions in in case they would not be willing to pay them a fee, which also often happens to uh, independent curators, that they do their job for an institution and they should be honored. Um, wait, 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 wait. Independent curators don't get paid? Uh, now, mostly, yes. A couple of years ago, no. Listen, now, okay, a little back, to, back on that. My understanding of an independent curator is that's a reasonably new thing. Like, I mean, when I was growing up, curators worked for institutions or galleries or whatever, but they, they worked for a, a company or an organization, and there weren't such things as independent curators a lot. Maybe there were in New York and Paris and London, whatever, but, but it wasn't a common thing. It seems like that's a newer thing, this idea of an independent curator. So like 20 years, I'd say it's sort of growing and it's getting better and more prominent and more impactful and better paid. Mm. Yes, definitely. But it's still, I think, for most people who call themselves independent curators, it is almost impossible to survive on this. They might be teaching, they might be doing other things that are their day jobs and then working on projects. Uh, but Similarly to the artists, usually if if there even is a fee, which usually now there is, but it's really not, it hasn't been that common for, for so long gesture. time. it's still just a gesture. It's not enough yes, to make a living. It's more of a gesture. And sometimes it, the fee is not bad, but still like you, how, you would have to count. I mean, if it's, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 euros, but again, it's a project that you've been working on for, for a couple of months, then you have to think how many projects like that would you have to have in a year to make a living. And that's, yeah, that sounds almost impossible. So, I mean, of course, there are a few of these kind of star curators that, that have uh, incredible fees. And there are, of course, artists that have incredible fees that live in a completely different world, I would say, than the most of the uh, art um, producers um, do. Well, and that's what I'm, I'm hoping to get some insight into how 
if so, let's say a curator, a, a young curator is listening to this podcast. So how can they put themselves, put their career on the right path to become more successful uh, as far as like getting to a position like the one you're in right now? I mean, this is looks like a pretty decent uh, salaried position that and you have a nice uh, lots of programs going on internationally. Like you, you've got a lot of things going on. Uh, so like, how could a young curator sort of put themselves in the right path to, to grow and get better? Well, I mean, in my case, it was really coming from the, you know, I came in a time where there really was no kind of, not that many opportunities and not that many fees also. So I really did have to do a lot for a long time, either for free or almost for free. I mean, I did have a museum job, as you mentioned in the beginning, a Kampa Museum, which paid perhaps 90% of my rent back then. And so I had to do other things. Um, Next to this, and a lot of the so-called independent curating was really kind of an investment from my side that I just did it because I enjoyed it. And well, it I, seems like there's a lot of it, this feels like a European thing. Again, I mean, I've lived in the Middle East, I've been in the United States. There seems to be this sort of idea of the starving artist, and and I, I'm personally a little tired of it. Uh, you you never hear about starving bankers. You never hear about starving lawyers. Why does the starving artist still exist? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pity. And I mean, I think it really is a bit different now. If you're a young curator, you can really... I mean, you have to also really, after all these debates, you have to know a little bit more of your value and also ask for things, ask for better fees, just refuse to work for free you know really when I, when I was starting 10 years ago it was absolutely normal people would not even ask you is it okay for you that we are not gonna pay you or so they just wouldn't think about it now it, the debate is really elsewhere so I'm, I'm glad about that mm -hmm. but I mean it's you know it's the whole system it's also that I mean you're a young curator you, you already have done something you value your work but then at the same time you just cannot claim certain amounts of money from institutions that you also know they they don't even have the funds for this so it's a very complex question I mean in my job right now I'm really happy about it it's an amazing job but I think if I would work quite seriously as a tram driver I might earn a little bit <laughs> similar <laughs> salary so um, this is way more fun than a tram driver it is way more fun and that's what everyone counts with that you're gonna do it for this kind of money but if I would be somewhere in a firm or even in some kind of creative industries I'm sure it could be triple um, the amount that I that I can earn in this job so it's uh, so I'm not sure if I can really talk about uh, success stories but on the other hand I must say it's also and this is something that we are really focusing on right now it's also changing of the kind of institutional logic that uh, we have with my team tripled the budget of the institution in the five years that I'm here because also we added other programs and so on uh, so that's uh, but that but we did not think about tripling our own salaries and there is this this is really common in the art world because as you were mentioning there is the, this whole logic that has been there forever about oh you should be honored to do this and it's fun isn't it the fun kind of pays for your bills and no, and, and so it, on it is uh, it is depressing it is it makes you 
neurotic and self-conscious and, and, and creates low self-esteem. The constant no's and rejections and low pay and the, the low standards. I mean, even if I got to do a business trip, let's say, for whatever, like like some gallery wanted me another, I still have to go on the cheapest possible way. I have to take a bus. I have to stay in the cheapest of hotels or Airbnbs. Like, there is nothing glamorous about the arts lifestyle other than the leisure quality to it. And some of the parties. And the parties. The parties are good, yeah. But, uh, but the yeah, people, you're right. And the people think... are great. I mean, there's, there's no knock on the people. But like, it, people outside the arts think that we live this great, luxurious, bohemian, blah, blah. And no, it's, it's, it's like for me, I've become much more self-conscious and much more neurotic or whatever, anxious, because... Uh, I am in a new society, like so. I've only recently, in the past two years, have sort of prominently moved to Europe, and uh, I'm not easily accepted here. Um, it it takes a lot. I mean, anytime you move as an artist from one country to another, you have to literally start from scratch. Yeah. Like, no matter what credentials you had, they mean nothing in your new city and you have to start again and reprove yourself. And that's very difficult uh, for anybody that, or anybody that even has to take time off. Like I'm thinking um, uh, mothers or, or people like they have to take time off and then try to come back. Like you have to just continually reprove yourself. And this is not true in other industries. And it's annoying me. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's really, it's also really important to change our own logic and our own mindsets. You know, I really, I am on this right now in the institution that I represent to really look once again at the budgets and see, because it's always, you know, you're always short of money in the art world. Whatever budgets you have in the end of the year, you're always counting if this project can save 50 or 100 euros so that you can kind of come even. I've never so it's participated never in, the, in a project where yes. people go, you know what, we have tons of money, don't need yes. any more money. So that, but still, I think... I really need to look into how much uh, money we have generally and how much we pay our staffs, how, how much we pay ourselves. And we really do need to prioritize differently. You, you see, because I, uh, it's not only about my own salary, but I have a team of five people who also cannot just do this forever for the love of art and, and our excitements around it. And, um, and I mean... I, so we are maybe among the Prague institutions, we're definitely not the one that pays the worst. I think we are kind of on the better <laughs> scales. But still, if you compare it yeah, to, to any other industry, it's, it's a bit of a joke. And also there is really this logic that, uh, I mean, prices are growing, rents are growing, and our, our salaries, we don't think about, you know, raising it every year just a little bit because of... Yeah, cost so, of living increase. Yeah, so, uh, so I think we really have to also change this inner logic. And then it's, um, it's also, and this is what we are trying to do, also a push on, uh, on the big institutions that do pay for us, which in our case is the Ministry of Culture, it's the city of Prague. We are mostly, um, we're an NGO, we're mostly surviving on grant support. 
which is also increasing, but they're also in the logic of these big grant givers, there needs to be an acknowledgement that, look, these people cannot do this forever for the kind of pay that, you know, they, they, they would rather, like many of them would just escape for, to a different thing or kind of get, you know, burned out, tired from it. So it's, it's a big issue and it really needs to be treated on many different levels. So if you're a young curator or artist approaching the institution, I think you should really kind of know your value and ask that uh, and not accept that you're not being paid or that you're not being paid adequately. But you also have to understand that the whole system kind of needs to improve and change for for this to be possible even. Sure. I'm, I'm running into the granting system a, a lot since I started this podcast because I'm trying to find grants for the podcast to travel more and stuff. And don't get me wrong, the budget for doing this is, in the grand scheme of grants, super low. Yeah. I mean, I've seen grants three and five million euros and stuff. I mean, I'm talking I need like 500 euros. Like I don't need a lot of money. But the granting system is very difficult it's very the my issue i haven't i have a big pet peeve the granting system is i feel like it's a bit broken at this point because they are so so many grants like there are thousands i mean i spent weeks just researching grants and in most grants that i find it's like you fit to like 95% of it. It's like, yes, perfect, 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 perfect. And then they say, oh, but you must be an NGO. And I'm not an NGO. Or everything else, like, yes, 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 yes. And then they say at the end, like, oh, and you have to be under 35. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And then, like, I me, mean, and there are countless grants, and there's two, I feel like there's so many grants that are great. And I love all the support that is available because there is a massive amount of money support to support the arts available but they're so they're so specific with what they will fund they will only fund like i just recently went to a meeting where there was this really beautiful grant and this grant was perfect for this podcast 99% of the way but they will only grant it to organizations of uh, associations or ngos right yeah it might be worth creating an NGO for this. I'm, I'm not, I've done that before. I'm not doing another one, but the, but my but my point being is is that like these there there's too many strings attached to too many grants. I mean, why can't there just be grants that say, "We love what you do. Here's money." Yeah, but I mean, for the Czech organizations like us, we yeah we are. Spolek, a kind of union, or how you how you call it, in the association. Um, association, yes. It's I must say it's really not terrible the kind of support we can get in if we compare it to similar organizations in Western Europe, in the U.S. I mean, in a way, they might have some. I mean, U.S. is completely different with yeah. more of the private sponsorship and so on. But even, I mean, in Germany or the Netherlands, there, there might be more resources. But of course, there are also the costs are also much different. The um, the amount of institutions is is very different. But even in Poland, for instance, when you look at the results of the grants from the Ministry of Culture, if it's maybe the first page 
out of 20 is the supported projects and the rest is, you know, they will never reach this kind of support. And I must say here, this is really not bad. The, the, the ministry and, and if you're in Prague, the city of Prague, or if you're in Brno, the city of Brno, they really do give not bad money also to quite experimental projects. For instance, with INI project, I mean, that was an NGO that I set up with two friends of mine. We had nothing. We had no money, some kind of little knowledge of what we would our, our expectations or kind of imaginations of what we would like to do but really not much back then and um, we ran it for a year from our own resources which was really nothing next Only to nothing a year? I would and, have expected uh, three and yeah but that's that's really the good thing about this place that i mean we set up certain program and we started getting grants for it because we already shown look we did this someone thought it was interesting we got a little support from some student grant in the beginning but then quite soon actually we started getting support from the ministry and we're still getting it now and it's really it's not bad i mean there is a there is a person who can work kind of part-time. I mean, of course, she's a freelancer and, and uh, it's it's not ideal, yeah, but for the size of this, it's really a small project and someone can, you know, be there and, and take care of it for at least some kind of money. If I don't, I don't know if it's decent, it's, no, decent in the art world terms. <laughs> decent in the art world terms in Prague also. Because yeah. like, the cost of living in That's Prague right. is lower yeah. than a lot of other places. Now, what about grant writing? I, I, I'm, I am the worst. I, I get all emotional when I'm writing a grant. I'm like, oh, this is my life. This is my thing. Like, I get all invested in it. And there, there needs to be some way, some... I, I have a difficulty with writing grants, basically. Let's just, we'll cut to that chase. Give me some tips on writing grants. Because you, obviously, or your organization are doing it really well. You just tripled your budget in five years. So like, so what, what are some advice for writing grants better? Well, I try, I just try to be as honest as possible, really. I mean, because a lot of people... Are you people, implying that I'm not honest? No, I'm sure that you are. <laughs> but I'm, I just think that in terms of budgets, in terms of the program, many many people when they write grants, they really try to pimp it up and also say, okay, it's going to cost that much more because they think they're going to cut it to half anyway. So they say, okay, this is... That is like, exactly that, how my American people taught me yeah. they always said over ask and under deliver as far as your budget yeah exactly but the thing is that I mean for some grants it works it's also I mean it really took me maybe these 10 years to get the orientation in all of this but um, but for, for for the big ones for instance for the ministry or the city they really like to see your real budgets and if they're if they know that you're exaggerating, which they know very well, if you say that your your annual budget is six million crowns, but it's gonna be actually three million, and so they they will they will kind of know that, and uh, and they will also downrate it through this. So I think it's I mean okay, so we are trying to say that okay, this is our kind of reasonable ideal budget yeah it might be a little bit larger than it really will be because this is what we would like to have for instance if we paid really adequate fees to everybody and so on uh, but we really don't exaggerate we don't you know we don't say a transport somewhere will cost 
20,000 euros if we know it's going to cost 5,000. Okay, so um, honesty is a good story. So I yeah. think that with, with the money for sure. And in the Czech grant system um, for the ministry, for the city, I think really is mostly the program that matters, that people will really, you really need to have done something in the previous year that people follow, that they kind of know about it, because the committee is full of people who that are from the art world. I've been also on this committee a couple of times. So, I mean, of course, everybody will look at the project. If you're, uh, for instance, us, uh, we will be applying for the big grants for an annual project. So we will say everything that we are planning to, to do that year. Again, we are trying to be as honest as possible, as consistent as possible. It has to all hold together. It cannot be just something super spectacular, but without, you know, much, much reasoning and, and, and so on. Um, you have to say that you are also continuing what you what you have done that last year and why is it new why is it different but also is it you know in in the line with with what you have been um so far doing so it's it's all these very kind of hard to measure criteria i would say that that really count the most that uh, i still believe in the grant system here that it's not i think some european grants are because it's much more detached from the applicants, it really could be that you put a great grant on a paper and the project is actually really bad and you might get the money because it's just that you write it well and it looks well and the people you know who rate it, they have no idea what organization you are and so on. It looks great in the writing, on the images, on your kind of um, goals and so on and, and you might get the support. But here in the local terms, this would never happen. It, because people are really, you know, this is really attached. People know the the outcomes that you have had in the past and that you might achieve. And then if you if they look at the pro, at your program and a small gallery will say, oh, I'm inviting this huge artist from somewhere, they will probably say, oh, but they might not be able to accomplish that. And is that confirmed or not? So you know, it's really they they really know what they are doing. So so I would say. Just um, really saying what what you plan to and being as good as possible in the in the programming is very important. But of course, I have been in, sitting in these committees, and sometimes the projects are so badly kind of put together that it's just so hard for the committee to orient themselves in this. It. I mean, what I've experienced is that. If there was a really badly written project, but it was, for instance, for an exhibition that everyone knew, well, oh, this is going to be great, and these people really know how to do it, they would still give it the money, yeah. But, uh, but I mean, it does complicate things because you really, as the member of the committee, have to take so much more time to kind of, you know, if there are no images, if there is not, not enough information, there is a link to a website, you have to access it to find out more and so on. And of course, not everybody will take the effort to do this. So I would say put as much relevant information in the application as you can, also support it with images, with with some kind of quotations or links from the media or so. This is also very often a requirement, but also try to, I mean, give enough information, but also not write a 20-page essay, which I unfortunately mostly do. <laughs> well, I've been noticing a lot of them have been doing limited uh, characters and words, like, you you know, 2,500, whatever, yeah. like, they, they really want you to be limited. 
um, which in, is in its own way, it's its own difficulty as well, because sometimes trying to take a very large, comprehensive project and limit it to like 500 words is really hard to pitch. That's so, right. Like, yeah, that's the hardest sometimes. But I mean, that's also perhaps one of the really biggest arts in this, that you really manage to kind of write exactly what's your point and not a very large amount of words because then of course you know if the committee receives 200 projects even if you do write your 20 pages you might be sure that yeah. nobody's gonna read that nobody's gonna read a big 20 page proposals they they <laughs> want it short and sweet and to the point i mean that that's one of the things is like how flowery should you get with it like I, from america when i was taught it 30 years ago it was oh be your own cheerleader tell how great you are you know you know pump yourself up convince them that you're worth investing in and i'm hearing uh, that these days it seems to be more the opposite basically don't oversell yourself don't act like you're better than you actually are literally just say this is what i want money for because this is the thing i want to do Please yeah. fund it. You know, be very sort of straightforward. I mean, I don't want to use the word humble because it's not humble. But I mean, you still have to, you still have to project some confidence in the in the proposal. Mm -hmm. But but you don't want to go that over the top that at one point was very popular. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And also, maybe it's a bit cultural that I feel um the committees here they would if they get this kind of proposal of course i cannot generalize about everybody but maybe the ministry committee that i can imagine if they you know receive a proposal and it says oh we're gonna do this and that and we've already done that and that's great and it's gonna be amazing they're just gonna sit there and think oh really is it and you know i mean of course again you can't you can't overgeneralize but i would say it's re it's really more about saying, look, we are doing this, we are good in it, we have achieved this and that, but in a in more of a, and this is our reasoning behind it. I think people here are really looking at a lot at the concept, at the logic. They are really looking into critical thinking about the necessity of 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 this. Why is it important? How is it enriching the art scene? How is it adding? something else if it's the ministry they are also looking a lot into how is it beyond regional yeah because if you're if you're doing a project in a certain city for instance and it's really just local then you should maybe ask more of the local support but if it has some kind of resonance in the whole country or maybe even internationally then even if it's a small local project it can get funding from the ministry so they will be looking into this of course into the impact for the publics who is it attracting if you're making a great project but then you have no attendance well, of that I, that's the thing i've often wondered because a lot of these bigger grants will often say like how many people will this affect what is the intended audience and how many of them what uh, demographic breakdown how do you figure that stuff out i mean it, basically it, it feels like this it's like you have to have done the thing to know these intent that what your audience is in order to be able to request money to and know what your audience is yeah. like but what if it's the first time you're trying to do something how do you come up with these kinds of 
data and statistics. Then I guess if you're if it's the first time you have to consult someone who did something similar. But I mean, in our case, of course, it's the way that we know we count all the visitors of all exhibitions that we do. For us, it's a bit more difficult because we don't have one space. If it's one gallery, you can just have someone who counts your visitors and that's it. Or you can sure, count the easy. tickets that you sell. But we work everywhere we work in the czech republic we work internationally so we always have to ask the partner institution to give us um, the amount of uh, people who came there but then there are also you know online things but we really try to track everything how many people watched the days uh, how many people came here if there is no sometimes you know you're doing a lecture you're not selling any tickets so there has to be someone just writing now okay there were 50 people coming to this lecture and we we try to track it throughout the year then we come to some kind of a sum for yeah, us because I've, you know, I've, seen, I've seen grants that have even asked like gender splits like male female um, age uh, demographics you know ch wow, children yeah. elderly you know whatever like I mean they, they, some of them can get like really specific yeah but then you really you really have to estimate upon your previous experience and also your expectations and I mean this is this is the hard thing you're always like, working with your expectations for budgets also for these kind of figures and then I mean you can say okay I expect 5,000 people to come to this exhibition but also it might be that only 3,000 come and then when you're doing the grant evaluation you will have to say this but I mean I never experienced a grant that would cut your support because of that but uh, but of course it's something that Again, you should try to be as reasonable as possible. And this is also one of the things where I think the honesty is is, is quite good because if you're going to say, oh, I expect 10,000 people to come to my small project space, of course, the committee will say, well, that's impossible. You will yeah, get... Your space only fits 10, 100 people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to start more generally about the awarding, uh, I would completely agree with that it's a very problematic kind of a project yeah, or awarding the arts I mean it's okay to award but awarding also involves a lot of competition and then how do you measure which artwork is better it's which so artist subjective okay well let, let's better. well let's take that back a step so your award just to inform the public because not mm -hmm. everybody has a lot of research on it your award awards young artists under the age of 35 working in the Czech Republic or living in the Czech Republic or from Czech Republic. They could be living elsewhere, but be Czech, yes? Mm -hmm. Okay. What materials, what, what mediums, like, is, are there any sort of limitations on it? There are no limitations except for the age that we've been also discussing many times whether it should or shouldn't be there, but it has been there for 30 years since the existence. I'm 46, of the award. so I encourage you to raise that number. <laughs> right. <laughs> but otherwise, we really try to have it as open and as kind of inclusive as possible. You can be really, you have to be a visual artist, but that can mean that you're working with certain kind of research, that you're a classical painter, that you're someone absolutely experimenting on the edge of activism or theater, or, you know, it, 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 you have to kind of consider yourself still acting upon the visual or art world, but otherwise it's very open of what your practice is. Okay, so then it comes down to, to a question I always have because, like, I have known I've I've been on the jurying end of this as well. So, like, how do you 
compare and judge the criteria of quality versus, or basically the winners of the awards and people who don't win the awards. What are some of the debates that go on in the back room when you're looking at them going, this is good. Are, are you looking at the actual work that's being submitted or are you looking at the potential of future work? or whatever other criteria comes up. Yeah, so I mean, of course, it's extremely difficult. So our process is that we have an open call. Anyone can apply for it. We also have a system of so-called nominators, people who are curators, teachers at different academies, people from different regions and so on, who kind of encourage artists to apply. They still have to apply to the open call, but someone might tell them, look, I appreciated your work maybe go for it. Uh, that helps us also get maybe more diversity of, of the artists and, and artworks. And then we have an independent jury that, I mean, we do appoint, but we do not, uh, as our team, none of us or our board or anybody doesn't take any part in the decision process. So um, the jury members are appointed for three years. Um, there are always partly international and partly Czech. This is very uh, important for us that there is someone who really knows the scene, who knows all the artists, knows all the gossip, is, is there really to, I mean, of course, they will not know everybody, but they will be aware of what's really going on in the scene. And then there are people who are very important representatives of international institutions that have this kind of outside perspective of what's going on in their respective um, places or more generally in the in the international scene. And um, there is a discussion among these right now is uh, five people, three internationals, um, two Czechs. And they, out of this pool of applications, which is usually around 80, 100 artists that really do quite cover what is the kind of young scene in, in the Czech Republic, and they select five um, to be the shortlist or the kind of nominees. And I mean, this is very important already, this, this step that you are among these five, because then that means that uh, part of the award is creating um, newly commissioned work. Uh, for an exhibition which happens either in the National Gallery in Prague or Moravian Gallery uh, in Brno. It's switching um, every year and you really get a whole year's support from our team, curatorial, financial, um, production. So um, you really, and you get a lot of media attention. There is quite a lot of things kind of uh, associated. I've seen it, yes. I, I know the media attention, yes. To this year. So this is the most important thing for us. And I mean, the selection for this shortlist is of, of course all kinds of criteria the jury is looking into okay what is going on in the scene what voice also really stands out out of these applications if you have these hundred uh, things there some things also might start a little bit repeating or you know there might be certain trends certain tendencies then you also look into okay out of this trend what what is really the more genuine or the more kind of different or more edgy or and this is of course up to every jury to select um, their own criteria but they and then I mean usually they get to a short list of maybe 15 20 people and out of they out of there they they already have 20 really great artists or 15 really great artists and they will definitely also be trying to then aim for some kind of diversity yeah, if they, they will not select five painters out of these 20 for the shortlist because it would be a little bit too one-sided so they will go for different media different approaches so that the shortlist really 
of course it's never representative it's of what what is going on in the scene but at least it covers really different kind of voices of what is what is going on in in contemporary art um, so that how that is made uh, and then uh, the process is that all of these artists uh, create a new work for the for the exhibition and the jury meets again in the exhibition and the winner is chosen uh, more uh, more based on the new work because they were already chosen upon their previous works from their portfolio towards the shortlist and then whatever they did in that year will quite highly influence um, what uh, who will uh, finally receive the main award. For me personally, this last part is very problematic. I feel it's very difficult to judge among four, five new works, which usually are very different. Each has their own thing. Most often, all of them are very interesting, very promising. And for the jury, of course, it's also not easy. And they have to think about kind of the criteria. Again, it's not about what is the best artwork. That's impossible. So they have to think also what are the politics of the award? What are the politics of the art world? There are different topics that are being discussed. Last year's winner of the of the Chalupetsky Award was uh, there with a very politically engaged project that was um, questioning the relationship of the Czech prime minister towards the main uh, media that he actually has certain ownership in. And and it was a certain gesture to support this kind of project because you know that you give it much more visibility and the discussion can kind of go on and so on. So there are many, many more things um, that, that get involved in this, except for who's the, who's the best artist. To be honest with you, I'm very much contemplating throughout these whole five years that I've been in this um, institution, but now maybe even more whether this last part is really necessary because it's not that difficult to f um, choose the five artists for the shortlist. And they, you know, they get chosen from a large pool, they get the support and so on. But then they very often are from one scene, they might know each other. It's there. It, it, it gets very personal and very kind of, problematic or difficult for them that someone will you know they will be judged like in school in a way or in the academy and someone will be but not in uh, a way no no that's actually how it works oftentimes <laughs> yes that's right yeah. but uh, yeah i'm just wondering win. you know there I, you might have heard of what happened in the last turner prize which is um which is the biggest british um or um uk um award for artists and it's maybe one of the most kind of internationally recognized and the the shortlisted artists asked the jury uh that they didn't want to have any winner be chosen out of them because they were all working on very kind of socially engaged projects on projects that were very sensitive towards what is going on around us how we can address it and so on they just didn't want the jury to be selecting how, how can you possibly say if a project is dealing with, I don't know, anxiety, and then another one is d dealing with rape culture, and another one is doing with this and that. So how do you say, okay, that one is better? And um, and this is a general kind of turn, I would say, in the, in the art world, that because there is a lot going on in, around us, politically, environmentally, and so on, uh, so there is, there is really a tendency to also question these kind of mechanisms of 
of judging or selecting because well, that's exactly what I'm trying to get to is yeah. sort of like, so how do these conversations go on of like best? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because this translates everywhere because this translates to art fairs, including art, which artists do they include, you know, galleries when they choose artists to represent or not represent, like what are some of the criterias that like, you brought up some already, which are things like, uh, uh, having a strong cause, having a strong voice, having a, an authentic sort of perspective, things like this. Like these are all very important things. I do portfolio reviews online every day. Uh, and every day like I'm constantly having to tell people while you make beautiful whatever, like visually, aesthetically, it's stunning. It has no reason. Like mm. the, the, there has to be a uh, an emotional gravitas, some sort of thing that grabs the attention and the heartstrings to make me not only appreciate the aesthetics, you know, whether it's beautiful or not beautiful, it doesn't matter, aesthetics, is, um, but it, that it means something to the viewer. Like it's, it's, it has to, and it doesn't have to be some deep, profound thing. It doesn't have to be global change, rape culture, whatever. It, it can be intimate and personal, but it has to have that, Right. extra thing but then beyond that how do you compare those and say this one is better or more more worthy than this other one yeah of course i mean it's extremely difficult to compare but on the other end if you're working in the art world you have to compare all the time not only in awards because if you're a curator you're selecting work for an exhibition you have to think okay who am i inviting who am i not inviting so there this is part of it and i guess it always has to be or will be but um, I really am a lot in my thinking and maybe it's not going anywhere, but I am trying to really think uh, or rethink how um, you can sort of uh, minimize this, um, this necessity of uh, yeah, claiming the best or, you know, thinking about, okay, everything has, it's a, it's a very kind of patriarchal structure now to, to say, okay, we always have to go for the big results and for the best art and so on. And I really would like to appreciate more um, also the different little things that are going on, the nuances, the general, I think the biggest thing is the general presence of artists in the society, whether they just do some kind of thing at home and they show it in their local cafe and it's not so, wow, great, original to be shown in museums, but I think it's very important because it's important for a certain group of people, for a certain community, it's important for the artists themselves, for a way of thinking that goes kind of beyond the regular structures. And, and I really believe in this. And of course, you know, I might then not be the one to ask this artist to show in the big museum, but still I think it's super important that they are there and they are doing their work. And I just, I'm thinking of mechanisms that would acknowledge this this kind of work more in, in more general terms. And then of course the awards are a bit um, contradictory to this. Uh, but in the Kalupetsky award, for instance, we did really try to kind of change the mechanism of it. When I came here, it was really, then, uh, I mean, kind of as objectively as possible. Okay, you get certain kind of money. We don't want to know what you're working on. Just you have the space, you have some money, which was quite little money back then. And now it's still maybe it's 
still again not enough but better and that there you just go 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 show what you you've got yeah and um we decided that okay this is not the way we would like to do it if we already have this selection of the five artists it was quite an achievement for the for them to get there let's think how we can really support what they're doing as much as we can how we can guide them through this year how we can you know help them with achieving their results on the, if they, if they want to make something crazy they want to do some glass sculptures that nobody knows the technique of how can we get them people that will help them to do that but also on the conceptual terms we discuss with them what are your aims how you want to do that did you read that book it might be interesting for you and so on you know and really kind of be there with them for the for the production and then I think also the results are a bit different than if you just say okay here's your money and space and do do something well that brings up something that that always sort of weighs on my mind is the balancing act of the aesthetics versus the concept Mm -hmm. you know I've always been taught and I've always expressed and I've always taught that it was basically it's it's supposed to be a balance it's 50 50 more or less kind of thing but if I feel like having seen a lot of things the recently and things like this I feel like it's getting a little bit stronger towards concept and less towards aesthetics currently like sort of I'm, I'm getting to contemporary work like I feel like the things like the artist statements and the 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 concept behind them are becoming you know maybe 60 40 like towards the the concept and the statements so I'm feeling like the statements are becoming more important a little bit you know mm. not dramatically because it still has to be aesthetically pleasing work you still have to be engaged in it, whatever I get all that but the statements and the text that accompanies it feels like it's becoming more important than it was in the past. Yeah, I think it's definitely more important to for artists to be able to say something or write something about their work that for instance here again the, the you know these things are arriving maybe a little bit slower that in the US this has been around for much Longer, or I would say longer than here, for <laughs> for sure. Oh, I mean, takes a little longer but then here, yeah. concept and aesthetics—it's also always a wave. They're also here in the uh, kind of yeah, ten, fifteen years ago. That it was really this time of the kind of neo conceptualism when you had works that were quite kind of rigid in terms of aesthetics and they were very conceptual they were very much not not necessarily just about text or artist statement but really about the research that is behind and the kind of point they were trying to make and they were let's say much less aesthetic of course everything is aesthetic in their in their own way but much less maybe spectacular or crafty or so it was a kind of big wave that influenced also a lot of young artists that are working now but in the recent years there is this um, friend colleague of mine Michal Novotny called it the romantic turn which I'm sure is is there that there is this kind of turn towards uh, the mysteries fairy tales you know kind of things like that but also there is really a big turn towards crafts lots of artists really experiment 
in very new and interesting and contemporary ways, but also very often with traditional crafts and materials and and uh, so on. So I would say that the art that is going on now, a lot of it is really, you know, people often also say about the award, but also other things. They're generally in contemporary, oh, it's all video art and it's all conceptual and we don't understand it. I wouldn't say that's true. I think it's extremely aesthetic and there is a lot going on 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 that uh, lines uh, and also in I don't know in painting and you know people also complain that the traditional media are disappearing I would disagree with that I think there are really a lot of artists uh, working very interestingly with more traditional media although the media question maybe is a bit aging because everybody is intermedia right now and working kind of with different strategies but then i yeah but definitely the kind of statement that you're even asked to do it that you're asked to write something about your work that is a bit new i mean in yeah like maybe 10 years ago or even five years ago in the academy of fine arts when you were studying no one would ask you right to and do that's this. what i'm getting now, to now yeah you have I mean, to i do rem- i had an experience i remember being an undergrad so this we're talking what is this 1990 mm-hmm. i i applied for a grant so this wasn't like a an exhibition but i applied for a grant and they said you know write one page about your artwork and I, I was an arrogant little you know kid and I said if I wanted to write about my work I would have been a writer <laughs> Obvi- yeah. obviously I did not get that grant but the thing is is like most artists go into the artistic the visual artistic field because they don't know how to express themselves in writing or even in talking like on this podcast but so it makes it difficult that like we we go out of our way to sort of express ourselves visually in our art, but then we're also expected to basically master another art form, which is writing about our art. So my question then leads to how do you feel about artists having writers help them or write them for them? So like a, a curator or a um a writer basically write their statements or anything like that is that okay is that legitimate i think if they use that they should also say who wrote it it's quite important yeah okay. that if if they if someone wrote nicely about their work and they want to use it they should say okay this was written by this and that curator and i think that's perfectly fine i also i me as a curator i do like if artists can also write something on their own because I um, I can just you know I don't mind I know that that it's not their kind of biggest strength to write nope as it is not my biggest strength to create artwork you know so exactly. I understand but you're from a the great writer <laughs> so I understand it from the other side uh, but still sometimes you know I would read their thing because I can write about an artist so. Uh, so if I read it, and I am, I think curators are quite often the public for these texts, then I really want to, you know, I, I can imagine what my friend curator this and that would write about that artist because I might write something similar or so. But sometimes if the artists write it themselves, it might sound a little bit more rough or, or so, but I will find out something new, you know, something that is, yeah, again, maybe more honest or some kind of edge or inspiration to the work that I wouldn't think about because it's something from where they live or some kind of literature experience of some weird comics books that they have read in the 90s or, you know, whatever. But um, 
but it is it is interesting for me so i wouldn't say that the form is the main part here and it, sometimes it happens that the, the you can sense that the artist didn't write this but they there is no acknowledgement who mm. wrote it so i would say again just either really write your own thing and claim that as your text and maybe it doesn't have to have the best kind of stylistic uh, aspects but it can be really about what where you're coming from what you're aiming for what are your you know contexts and so on and it's very interesting or have someone write it but then then really do acknowledge them all right i'm gonna get like super finite now with you because you have experience with this i mean you read a lot of artist statements as well because you have all these people submitting to, to you and all this kind of stuff when you're reading an artist statement should there be should do you do you react better to statements that say i make this i do this i do that or the work is meant to express this so basically it's the the question of the i statements or non i mm -hmm. statements which do you find more compelling to you yeah, I think if the artist write it, I pre prefer if it's in the I form. If okay. someone else writes it, because it's also maybe is the kind of distinguishing line between if, you know, if you generalize, I think it should be someone else saying that your work is like this and that. You know, it should be someone who sees it from an outside perspective. But whereas if you write it by yourself, you say, well, I do this because I feel like that and because I researched that and I am I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it if it's in this form. I really look more for this kind of, yeah, more personal information that I wouldn't find or wouldn't see in the work by myself through also the perspective of seeing similar work elsewhere internationally. I can, you know, I can see influences. I can kind of get what is going on there, hopefully. But uh, but there are things that I will never know and I would like to find them in the statement. Yeah, I, I try, when I do my reviews for other people I, and I read their statements, I often try and express like, for me, and the, again, like, so this is my own perspective, is that I feel like the best statements are when I feel like I've gotten insight into the mind of the artist. Yeah. Like that, So whatever that means, however that manifests, like basically something that I simply cannot achieve by looking at the work alone, but something that will elevate the whole experience and, 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 and you know, engagement with the works mm. that would be unattainable in the work. Yeah. Like, that's what I feel like I'm looking for is that. So the question is, like, you're a professional at this. So, like, is this what you're looking for? Yes, definitely. And also, I mean, it also really differs. You know, there are artists that are extremely intuitive and they really have a problem with writing about their work and I'm I'm absolutely fine with if they write you know I grew up in a village and I went to a wood crafts making school and that influenced a lot the way I'm dealing with sculpture right now and this is perfectly fine as an information for me and then there are artists that are actually extremely kind of um, yeah developed in their, in their intellectual or in the I mean of course the intuitive artists are also intellectual I wouldn't want to distinguish it that way but the, but they are good in writing and they will write about how what is their relationship to the post-colonial theory I am also fine with that I mean if they it's great if they write it kind of again a bit genuine and not just in these kind of cool words that yeah, are there, there right is, now there is a point where like being intellectually expressive and sort of almost to the point of pompous is off-putting 
Yeah. Like there is, I like to know that the people have, have done research and they've thought and they've been influenced, you know, so like, you know, you, you know that they have a well rounded base of sort of foundation of why they have produced this work, but there is a line where it easily can go over and, be, and sound just pompous. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've read way too many things that say like, oh, Freudian this and Kantian that philosophy. And, and, and like <laughs> when I was in school, they used to tell us to put a, put a Latin phrase in, into your statement because it just yeah. it makes you sound more intellectual. It's, it's so pompous that it's just like come on yeah i agree and also it's like there happen to be certain keywords that uh, might also be names that everyone is quoting and but i must say yeah this really can very easily go towards uh, your um yeah that it is just not beneficial because then someone who has been in the art world and has read uh, has uh, read a few of these things will say, okay, you again are interested in Delis, or you again uh, quote Hitler Steyerl, or you again mm. are doing... And, and then yes, you're Picasso really looking for something yes. different. So it's, um, yeah, I, this kind of empty reusing of phrases. Anyone who is a little bit in there and has, you know, read a few of these things or been around in this context will see that very quickly. So it's really not worth it. Okay, so be unique in those, like, be be inspired by maybe not the the biggest names, some yeah. of the smaller I names. I think it's much better to say that you like the way your grandma was talking about how she worked in a certain shop and you really wanted to picture that. I think that's a very interesting piece of information. That's much more interesting than saying you're inspired by Andy Warhol. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. So let's get to our last question, which I'm sure you know, because I asked your husband the same question. So the question is, is how can an artist or, yeah, let's go back to stay with the artist. The, how can an artist sort of put themselves on the right career path to potentially be able to get their work on exhibition in the Museum of Modern Art in New York? That's difficult. There is definitely not one way towards that. I know um, that, but uh, well, the the idea is, the the idea is, if there's an artist out there who's listening to this, which I'm sure there are, I hope there are, <laughs> that that is sitting in their studio or their garage or their kitchen table and they're making something, and they and they know that the goal that they want is to be able to show in some major institution. So it could be Tate Modern, it could be any other major institution. The question is, is like, what what kinds of things are sort of generally the right direction to to put their career in that way? I think it's hard to have that as a goal because you might end up there much more easier if that wasn't your goal, to be honest. Uh, but generally, I think it's really great if artists first really involve in wherever they are from and start with a community, then usually every city, every village almost will have a certain infrastructure for art. Um, is I think you cannot skip that. You really have to think what's the young artist gallery around that you also, did you also appreciate, that you like the program of. You, they might have an open call. You can submit your work there. You can try to get involved in the local structures and of course artists and curators are supportive of each other and uh, many of these relationships might 
already happened in the academy, in the university, that you find someone who might be the first person who writes about your work and so on. And maybe that person will one day be the curator of MoMA and then your path towards there will be much more easier because you've been kind of following each other. This is a bit of a romantic idea also, but I do like it. And, it sounded and, like um, a movie. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm not a curator of MoMA, but there are artists that yet. I have yet <laughs> that I have really been exhibiting with in these horrible cellar spaces that do not even exist anymore. And, and we still do follow each other now. And I'm really grateful for this. Of course, there are new artists that I work with, but but I have a certain, uh, yeah, kind of a yeah tribe maybe of people that I really started working with, and and uh, and it's great to see that they've grown somewhere, and I've grown somewhere, and we can still kind of support each other and follow each other, and now it's on a little bit different level than it was ten years ago. So so I think it's nice to make these kind of companionships, but again that. They should be genuine. It should be just like, oh, show me the first curator who's around and I'm trying, gonna try to uh, stick to them. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it sounds, again, very naive, but you really have to focus on what you have to say, how you say it. Ideally, be quite aware of what's, it, what's going on in your regional, in your local context, but also internationally. Go see as much exhibitions as you can, read as much as you can. You know, of course, not to completely overwhelm yourself and feel there is nothing to add to this world. I think there is always something to add and something that you can do from your own uh, personal perspective and it might even look like something that someone else has done or will do but it doesn't really matter if it's really coming from what you have to say and and so I would just just focus on that and of course I mean you cannot just focus in your garage because then it, I mean, it will stay focused there. Most probably, you have to get it out there. But um, well, and, and that's that's the thing that I find a lot of artists have difficulties with, myself included. So, like, you know, is the the public relations, basically, the marketing, the getting out and doing the the, the running of the business of the arts. Yeah. Like that is the like most of us that are in the arts got into it to not be part of that, and then we have found out after we got into it that. No, no. Not only do we have to get into it, but we have to be—we have to be so good at being a business that we can be successful mm. with no training. Even though we, we've been training to be—we've been trained to be creative and think outside the box and do all these alternative ideas and and work with all these crazy mediums that have nothing to do with paying taxes and keeping up with paperwork and marketing and publicity and social media and all these things that we have not been trained in because we were trained in being creative and now we have to do these things yeah yeah I know but it's also I think it's very of course it's difficult and it's important to do those things you have to be a bit of your own manager if you're an artist but at at the same time I think you shouldn't overdo it I was in New York once in someone's lecture which was called how I got myself to the Whitney Biennale and it was the worst lecture I ever experienced (laughs) I must say and I felt okay if that's the way then 
I don't know if people really want to get to the Whitney Biennale. It was just about how many posts on Facebook should you do a day and what should you write there and so on. But it doesn't work. That I mean, maybe it worked for him, but this is really not the advice I would get to anybody because I think most people who do their job genuinely will just be super annoyed by this. Right. So if you're also like I had, there are artists that are really pushy. And I really hate it. I mean, if there are people asking me in a party at three in the morning if I selected them from an open call or if they are sending me emails every week about the new work that they have done or if I see their Facebook profile every day pumping on me uh, that they did this and that. Oh, and thank you, Art Viewer, or for publishing my work on your blog and so on. It's just too much. It's not, it's contra effective at that point so i think it's okay you you have to kind of find the middle line i mean it's something in between this and and sitting in the garage i mean you cannot just say nothing if if there is if something happened you had an exhibition it's good to share it it's also the way for me to get information and i must say i do get a lot of information from mailing lists from facebook someone's shared pictures and i i didn't see that show i'm so i'm glad that i at least saw that but it cannot just get too much because that then you even if the artist might be good and all of that you just kind of stop believing in, in it because you feel like okay this is really just attacking me so much yeah, that this I is just more don't of like a marketing blitz it, than it yeah. is actual art kind of thing yeah so so i think you really need to find some kind of balance between this and then i would really like overstress the the kind of relationships aspect because the kind of self-promotion for artists even if you do it, like you write, uh, you read as many textbooks, and there are a few on this, as you as you can, and you do everything right, it might just not take you there. So I always do trust more when there is someone who really generally gets interested in your work and they want to help you. And there are people like this. So, so I think it's really. I mean, and I mean, for meeting them, it's also good to be out there, right? You're out there in the school, you go to openings, you go to events, you follow things, you talk to people, and then you might bump into someone who's like, okay, I really love what you're doing and I would like to help you get an exhibition or maybe I write about it and you might, and then that's, and then people who will see that, oh, this, this person wrote about that artist, so uh, that's interesting and I also like the work and I would also like to show it in my gallery I think this is um, really better where none of us are kind of self-standing there and there is a whole infrastructure and I think it's best to try to use it <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm just sort of overwhelmed yeah yeah I mean it's it's difficult because if you if you look at any other business in the in, in the world there are sort of like a to b to c kind of result things whereas in the creative fields there is no A to B to C that is consistent. Yeah. I mean, A to B to C might work for one company or one artist or one organization, but it doesn't work for another. And it makes it really difficult, which, you know, I've listened, I've read these books, the not, not the how-tos and stuff, but I mean, I've read books about like how to be an artist and all this kind of stuff. And I've listened to other podcasts and stuff. And this is part of why I made this podcast because mm -hmm. The bottom line is, is like when I listen to these other people talk about it, they believe they have the answer. And I don't believe there is the answer. 
there are many answers and many variables. And so the idea for the podcast here is that I talk to as many people as I possibly can, because like, for instance, this whole conversation, if any listener gets one thing from this, then that's great. And then and the next podcast will hear one thing and the next podcast will hear one thing and they will put together for their career yeah. what will work for them from the, the series of different experiences and knowledge that different people have. Because I believe that no one person in the arts has the perfect answer for anybody else. Definitely. But through sort of groupthink, basically, so that, you know, through the sheer volume of input, they, 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 we all can sort of create our own little models. But you need more than one, because <laughs> like one person, one group, one organization does not have the answer. Exactly. And that's my hope. That's that's what I you know like I have learned so much through doing this podcast like. When I landed in Europe, I had no idea how it worked here in Europe. And I have a pretty decent idea of how it works here now. But I never would have known it had I not done this podcast. Mm. Like the amount of knowledge that everybody has shared with me yeah. is phenomenal. It's wonderful. It's great that you do it. You know, I just thought of one story that could be an example of a, of a friend of mine, Anna Hulachova. She's a. I would say right now, out of the young artist, she's really out there. She was written in uh, about in New York Times. She exhibited in some of the biggest institutions globally and so on. She's an artist that almost didn't make it through the Academy of Fine Arts. Uh, her professors were really doubting whether it is so naive of what is she doing or if, if it's intentional or what is it actually. I think the first... Uh, people who really helped her and that's also important to say were her peer artists there was an artist who created a small show somewhere in a small gallery and he invited her mm -hmm. and that's how at least some people uh, saw these things also there were some people also including myself who go to these rounds at, at the academy and saw the work and to be honest I also in the beginning I thought okay I, I kind of really like this but what is it it's it's so different than than things that you know are really exhibited now and are kind of trendy and so on right now it's that was like 10 years ago right now it's maybe like one of the most trendy things that you can you can see out there but she kind of um, grew up in that and then um, so uh, yeah at some point I invited her to meet Factory to kind of a bigger group exhibition before that we did one our smaller project uh, in Meet Factory uh, by chance on the opening there was Katja Kastner who I think you also have been talking to one yes. of the biggest galleries in here eventually she made it to the final of the Chalupetsky award at that point she already started to be represented by Hans Kastner and you know things uh, rounded up and the award definitely also helped her in the visibility and, and yeah then one thing leads to another more international curators came and now it's already the, the kind of the circle is is moving and I believe it, it will be a very fortunate career for her and I'm, I'm extremely happy for her but she really had to start just somewhere yeah and also it's quite a lot about being in the right time and place i mean um that's with the Kalupetsky award for instance concretely that happened 
quite a few times that artists like Eva Koťátková, they went to the residency in New York, they begged and met kind of the right curator there and they helped them towards this international career. Of course, this didn't happen to everybody. Also, it could happen in a certain time because now these curators don't go to these residencies anymore because there is so much more of it and so much more artists and so much more of this mobility. So also, you know, kind of uh, success stories of different careers. There are also timely. They There are certain moments that certain places certain institutions are the right ones to be and you never know it's it's incredibly fluid so i think what you can do is really just go on with what you're doing i mean try to really claim at least really decent conditions for yourself if you even if you're not famous or not famous yet that you can really do what you like and you can be appreciated for it in in a certain circle and also have some resources from it and then yeah and then it's also a matter of of course the quality of the work and certain luck and and uh, and importantly i think these these kind of companionships yeah that can take you somewhere yeah, in the end, the arts world is all about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the podcast, I would appreciate a five-star rating. And please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.